Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 welcome. If you've been listening all these years, you know four welcomes means we have four guests today. If you want to run with the Game Changers, this is where the best run. Let me just tell you our opening quote. I have a quote from Gone with the Wind. I'm not even going to explain that, but it's one of the most famous movies of all time. Margaret Mitchell wrote wrote the book. Here we go. Here's the quote. Death taxes and childbirth. There's never any convenient time for any of them. Now, you all know we're not talking about the first word and the third, so we must be talking a little bit about taxes today. So, what is keeping today's CFOs awake at night? It's 2019. We're almost done with quarter one, and they've got something on their mind. Let's look at what's going on around the world. In 80% of all countries, Federal tax authorities now use electronic data extraction to perform tax audits. So we're talking about data extraction, we're talking about audits, that terrible word, that feared word, and we're talking about taxes. And one in every four countries requires taxpayers to submit their tax data electronically, not like in the old days, pencil and paper. Our panel today will discuss the urgent need for consistent real-time tax information. Why? Finance departments need to respond to these changes and they need to stay compliant with every new requirement as it comes, I like to say, up the pike down the road. It's coming at you. Are you ready? Do you have the data you need to respond right now? We're going to find out what this all means. So welcome again. This is Financial Excellence with Game Changers and we're calling this episode Automating Finance Operations Value Added Tax Reporting. No, we're not going to tell you how to do your taxes. We're going to talk about what your company may need to do so you can stay up to date and compliant with the rules that are changing and changing and changing. Let me tell you who my four experts are in the panel. We've got some phenomenal opening quotes, by the way, and then we'll get started. First up, we're welcoming a newcomer. You'll meet him in just a moment. It's Mark Truchan. If you're looking for him, it's T-R-U-C-H-A-N. He is a director in the Customs and International Trade Practice at PwC, PricewaterhouseCoopers. Joining him is Michael Bernard. He gave me permission to call him Mike because we're such good friends. He's been on Game Changers so many times. And a shout out also to Kathy Bazeri at Vertex. Mike is the Chief Tax Officer for Transaction Tax at Vertex. Our friends there, shout out from me. And then we're joined by two people from SAP. We have Lane Laskella, Global Business Development Director at SAP, welcoming Lane. And Kevin McCollum is back. He's been on before. Global VP of SAP GRCS. Welcome to our esteemed panelists. Let's circle around the table to Mark Truchan. And Mark has sent us a quote from Albert Einstein. This is one of those quotes that makes a difference in everybody's lives because it's just plain true. So Einstein, anybody doesn't remember 1879 to 1955, German-born theoretical physicist who developed the theory of relativity, known for his influence on the philosophy of science. And if you don't know him, just think about E equals MC squared, the world's most famous equation, and think of the man at the chalkboard with the very, very, very fly-around white hair. That was Albert Einstein. He did receive the 1921 Nobel Prize in Physics. So here is the quote. If you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. Mark Truchan, welcome to Game Changers Radio. How are you today, Mark? Doing well. Thanks, Bonnie. 
Thanks for joining us. Love the quote. Tell me how you picked it and what in the world does it mean for our topic today on tax reporting and automation. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So I think when you're dealing with challenging subject matter, especially when it's regulatory driven, it can get in the weeds real quickly. And if you're dealing with a general audience and not specialists, it's really important to be able to break down and articulate a concept into something that's digestible. So at the moment, I'm spending a lot of time helping companies navigate the impact of the China tariffs, and I'm spending most of that time working with people who have no background in trade. So it's really important to explain things in a way that resonates and so that people understand, and, and that's not always an easy thing to do. So I like to challenge, challenge myself with this quote from time to time, and uh, I, I think it's a good one. Absolutely a good one. And uh, do you think Einstein would be amazed or flattered, Mark, if he knew that you were using one of his quotes in the year? Let's see, when did he pass away? He died in 55, so that's 45 plus 20, let's say 65, almost 65 years ago. Do you think he'd say, what? Internet? What? Radio? What? No wires? What? People getting together around this virtual? What is virtual? And you're talking about what I said back in the 1940s and 50s. What do you think Einstein would say about all this? I, I think he'd say, what? Trade war? What? Brexit? I, I think he'd be pretty surprised with where we are today. And so I, I think he'd totally get it. <laughs> Thank you for that. You you upped me at my own game, Mark. I, I appreciate that very, very much. Uh, uh, yes, thank you very much. I'm recovering from that. Thank you. Uh, Michael Bernard, Mike at Vertex has... Mike, I love quotes that come from songs, from music, and you've got a perfect one. And, and Mike, Michael knows that we don't usually accept opening quotes that have something to do with the topic, but this was such a beauty, I absolutely had to. It's from the Beatles song, Tax Man. It was written by George Harrison and released as the opening track on the Beatles' 1966 album, Revolver. And it's, a, it's lyrics. Actually, Mike, I, I assume you know this. Attack the highest levels of progressive tax taken by the British Labor government of Harold Wilson. Uh, I'm trying to look for some more information. It was the sixth song written by George Harrison to be included on any album issued by the group, and it's the only time a UK-based Beatles studio album opened with a George Harrison song or lead vocal. So it was very, very unusual. The backing vocals talk about Mr. Wilson and Mr. Heath. That was Harold Wilson and Edward Heath of the Labor Party and the Conservative Party in the UK. And uh, by the way, there was a chant in the back on one of the many takes, Mike, that said, anybody got a bit of money? And that was changed in Anthology 2 in 1996. I have no idea what this means. But here's the quote. (sighs) Let me tell you how it will be. There's one for you, 19 for me, because I'm the tax man. Yeah, I'm the tax man. Should 5% appear too small? Be thankful I don't take it all, because I'm the tax man. Yeah, I'm the tax man. If you drive a car, I'll tax the street. If you try to sit, I'll tax your seat. If you get too old, I'll tax the heat. If you take a walk, I'll tax your feet. Don't ask me what I want it for. If you don't want to pay some more, because I'm the tax man. Yeah, I'm the tax man. Mike, forgive me for the read, but how did I do, okay? I think you did great, Bonnie. Uh, one thing that... <laughs> It, that George actually embedded into that song is the 19 to 1 ratio. So they were subject to the 95% marginal rate. So uh, obviously he was passionate about taxes. Uh, and I know the panel here, the reason I picked the quote is because everybody here I think today is passionate about not just taxes, but technology and how we're actually going to try and solve some issues around uh, taxes. The 
the one thing, too, I, I, I do, you aptly said it was written by George Harrison, and George didn't get a lot of chances, right, to write about mm-hmm. it. It's almost always about Lennon and McCartney. That's um, right. The one thing, too, about the song, it took them almost 24 hours just to record the rhythm to the song. So really, really, George struggled a little bit in his writing, but ultimately he put it on his on the Revolver album. Um, a little other side note, too, is the Rolling Stones and the Who actually were subject to the 95% marginal rate, so they somehow found their way out of the U.K. for a period of time until the rates dropped down. But, but I, think, I think the thing that we're going to focus on today is this whole idea that taxes continue to be uh, policy decisions that are made, but that the enablement of the reporting from both the taxpayer side and from the tax authority side is going to be based a lot on technology and the efficiencies that come with that, particularly in the budget area. So uh, looking forward to the discussion today. Thank you very much, and you're absolutely right. As their earnings placed them in the top tax bracket in the U.K., the Beatles were liable to a 95%. It was called a super tax introduced by Wilson's Labor government. Hence the lyric says, one for you, 19 for me, referring to the pre-decimal pound sterling, which consisted of 20 shillings. And in a a 1984 interview with Playboy, Paul McCartney said, George wrote that, and I played guitar on it. He wrote it in anger at finding out what the tax man did. He had never known before then what he'll do with your money. And you're right. They started recording April 20th, didn't use it. Ten new takes on the 21st. Four tracks started the day with drums and bass. Then they distorted the rhythm guitar, followed by overdubbing of McCartney's lead guitar. And then finally, the ending was created on June 21st. So it was a definitely long labor of love. Thank you very much for the great quote, Mike, and a look back at one of the really cool songs. Let's move around the table before I get too involved in the Beatles anthology here. Lane Laskella at SAP has brought us a quote from somebody who's actually, Lane, we had a quote from this gentleman a couple of weeks ago. He seems to be regaining his popularity. It's Stephen Wright, Stephen Alexander Wright, still alive, born in 55, an American stand-up comedian, actor, writer, and film producer. He's known for his lethargic voice and his slow, deadpan delivery of ironic, philosophical, and sometimes nonsensical jokes called paraprostokians, which are non sequiturs. It's a fig. I won't give the, the, the whole definition, but he, he was ranked the 15th greatest comedian by the Rolling Stones. And um, he won an Academy Award for Best Live Action Short Film for writing and producing The Appointments of Dennis Jennings in 1988 and some Emmys as well. Here's the quote. Get ready. When I'm not in my right mind, my left mind gets pretty crowded. <laughs> Lane, <laughs> I love this. How, this is too much fun. Yeah, We're supposed to be serious. How are you, Lane? Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm great, Bonnie. Yeah, what else can you say? For many years, David Wright has been one of those kings of one-liners, right? But, uh, I, I, and I'm not surprised that you've heard this on, on this show before. Um, I, I found over the years, and you can blame this one on my ADD, that so many things that Stephen Wright has said, even if you just read them, you know, in context without his lethargic deadpan style, mm-hmm. they are they're quips that are insightful and they're applicable to many different situations. Another one that I often put up in my own Skype window, you know, you can put a little message mm-hmm. at the top. Um, I kind of circulate through some of his statements. Others that are uh, amusing, depending upon the context, are um, everywhere is within walking distance. 
if you have yes. the time, you know, think those, those kinds of statements. So this one, I think, uh, applied to um, this nexus between uh, technology being applied to these increasingly complex or demanding business requirements um, and the, the necessity just to have to pay to so pay attention to so many changes um, and have a process for doing that um, sometimes can make you feel like you're out of your mind. And uh, that, then, then the left mind takes over. Uh, the, the right mind reference there, small r, is my sense of uh, the discipline that uh, we all go through in our daily lives and translated to companies that we work with or serve to just get, you know, uh, the information in order to address um, as efficiently as possible, which is where technology comes in, of course, and going all the way back to the beginning of corporate uh, information technology and the whole client-server uh, era all the way up to the present in the cloud is really to make error-free um, high-value judgment and save cost and to do things efficiently. And we're still there after all these years on, on this topic today. Yes, we are. Thank you very much. And, and I am always very fond of the Stephen Wright quotes, as I mentioned. The other show we did was a couple of weeks ago on the circular economy. And, and you may know the joke from Stephen Wright. The one-liner was, I have a neighbor who has a circular driveway. He's still trying to get out. Something like that. So absolutely perfect. So th- thank you for that. We're not supposed to laugh. This is a serious show. How dare you? Kevin McCollum is next. And thank you. thankfully, Kevin, you brought us a very serious quote, and it's about time. We had an Einstein quote from Mark Truchan at PwC, and now we have a serious quote from Kevin McCollum at SAP. And it's from Harry S. Truman, the 33rd president of the U.S. from 45 to 53, who succeeded FDR after Truman was vice president, and he implemented the Marshall Plan to rebuild the economy of Western Europe and establish the Truman Doctrine and NATO. Um, let's see, you also submitted the first comprehensive civil rights legislation in 1948, etc., etc. So, here is the quote from Harry S. Truman. The only thing new in the world is the history you do not know. Kevin McCollum, how have you been? Welcome back. Sunshine, blue skies, and game changers on a sunny day. I don't get any better than that. <laughs> I, I heart you as well. Thank you very much. <laughs> Appreciate that. I can't say the word. Please tell me, the only thing new in the world is history you do not know. We're talking taxes. We're talking automation. We're talking reporting. We're talking big companies all over the world, changing rules, regulations, compliance. It's overwhelming. So how does Harry Truman's quote apply, Kevin? Every single bit of what you said is true. Uh, how it applies uh, or, or how it came for me is that I'm a history geek. I've probably read uh, history tomes that could stack up to the, um, to, to, to the top of the Burj Khalifa in, um, in Dubai. But um, this one, I actually slipped in. I, I did it wrong, Bonnie. I actually oh, slipped no. in another quote, quote from... Uh, uh, and actually a professor that I took a uh, uh, negotiating uh, telecourse from. And his comment was, you know, there's a little crazy to something that guy's, or, it, that guy's a little crazy, but there's something to what he's saying. So mm-hmm. I put these two quotes together because uh, we're repeating a lot of history and depending on how you slice history, uh, trade wars, um, 
downright nationalism uh, in 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 the current administration's policies around America first and whatnot. I'm not going to get into the po- into my politics, but yes. um, we are repeating a lot a lot of history. But you know, even though the current administration may be a little off kilter sometimes, at least on trade policy. There are some things to what they're saying, and I've often wondered about the balance of trade, uh, trade deficits, and whatnot. And um, so uh, the current administration has my attention, and hopefully we don't repeat history and create a bunch of new trade trade agreements that penalize America. And why trade? Because trade is indirect tax, so it's on this topic. And then I'll make my last comment and say that, Shame on me in the program. It says Harry S. Period Truman. Shame on me for submitting it that way because we history geeks know that the S didn't stand for anything but an S. So his name is actually Harry S. No period Truman. Ah, interesting. Interesting. <laughs> Didn't know that. I've got it in my notes with yes, period. So, S, thank you very much. I always learn something from you. Thank you very much. And, yes, we are going to stay away from politics, but I appreciate how you tied trade to the tax word, which is our focus today. Now let's go around the table and let's get to know a little bit more about our panelists. Let's do this quickly because we've got really a packed table today. Mark Truchan at PwC. Three questions, sir. Number one, where in the world are you today? Number two, what's your favorite drink that powers you to do what you do and be so smart? And number three, what do you do at PwC? Mark? Perfect. So, Mark Trish, I'm calling in from New York City right across from Grand Central on 42nd in Madison. What's in my cup? So that would depend on the time of day. I, I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old, and they are not great sleepers. So an espresso in the morning and lots of coffee throughout the day, hopefully a nice glass of red wine when I get home. And what do I do at PwC? So, I mean, I, I actually help companies with all aspects of customs and trade, so from regulatory compliance to planning on the regulatory compliance side. I help companies stand up their trade compliance programs, so help implement controls, procedures, and trade automation software, support with audits, tariff classification, customs valuation, origin determinations. On the planning side, help companies with duty saving programs, such as for sale, duty drawback, free trade agreement usage, foreign trade zones. And within PwC, we, we generally act as subject matter experts on anything trade-related, so work really closely with our transfer pricing teams, international tax, M&A, and our supply chain advisory practices. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. You certainly compressed that for us, and glad you have the drink range all day long (laughs) to keep you going, and I hope you get what you want when you go home. Thank you very much, and let's go to Mike Bernard at Vertex. Mike, what's new with you? Where are you today? What do you love to drink? It could be the same drink as last time. I probably don't remember, but maybe I will. And what are you doing at Vertex these days? Thanks, Bonnie. Yeah, I'm calling uh, from uh, where I live in Seattle. Uh, and we've had a great ski season up here this year. I had a lot, so it's been a, just been a great winter. Uh, so I've enjoyed that very much. Uh, Vertex is actually in uh, the northwest suburbs of Philadelphia, so King of Prussia is our home base there, and I get back there uh, on a regular basis. The the thing that I'm uh, drinking today is, um, I think you remember back when we talked in January, I was drinking these gingerbread smoothies, and mm-hmm. those were pretty good for a while. So now we're we're kind of back to the the old standard of uh, coconut milk smoothies with blueberries and Greek yogurt. So uh, with just a sprinkle of cinnamon or nutmeg on top to bring a little flavor to it. So that's what we're drinking mm. today. 
And then okay. the thing that I do for Vertex is I actually work with um, our customer base to provide both uh, educational programs, both inside the company and outside the company. We do a lot of writing on taxes. Most corporate tax people, Bonnie, are actually forbidden writing about their tax situations, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then lastly, uh, we work with our customers to kind of just bring the best uh, technology and products that, uh, that fit their solutions and their needs. Thank you very much. Nice to have you back, Mike. And, yes, sure. I did remember the word gingerbread in your drink from last time. Let's move around to Lane. Lane Lascala. Lane, where are you today? What do you love to drink? And tell me what your role is, please. Well, it just so happens I'm a few miles north. I'm in my home office in Everett, Washington, about oh. uh, 26 nautical, no, direct English miles from downtown Seattle. Um, I'm not drinking what I would prefer to drink, so my cold water uh, in my mind is a fresh pina colada on a beach in Mexico with a little umbrella in it. Um, pina colada is actually, and I guess I go in for those fruity alcoholic drinks because wherever you are, you have a pina colada, it feels like you're on vacation, right? So I, I love that. Um, for SAP, now starting in year 10, um, I have a multifaceted role in something called the Center of Excellence here. Uh, which is not an off-site data center um, in, the, in the technology vein. It's actually a combination of business development activity, working with partners like the ones that we have on our show today, as well as strategic planning with customers over a whole variety of issues. In our area, we are a part of finance, and finance extended out into governance, risk, and compliance, and actually security these days. In addition to that, uh, we work with our sales uh, folks and help to develop programs for them to get their hands around some of this complexity and work uh, in a consultative fashion with uh, with our customers better. Thank and you very everyone. much. Yep, Lane, have you been on with me before? I know we've we've crossed paths at SAP on setting up some shows. Have you been on radio with us before? I believe this is the first time uh, live. <gasps> I thought so. Well, then I have to say yeah. welcome to first-timer Lane Lascala. Okay, I want to make sure you feel very welcome. Thank you very much, Lane. And Kevin, like Mike Bernard, Kevin has been on before. So, Kevin McCollum, where are you? What's your favorite drink? And talk to me what you're doing in SAP GRCS, please. Ann Arbor, Michigan. Go blue. And I'm going to tell you not what I have in my cup right now since I'm not drinking anything right now. But I discovered... Dow's Fine Tawny Port over the weekend. I'd ah. never had port before, and I thought, let's do something interesting for a dessert for a dinner party I had. So I highly recommend it. For somebody who's never had port, it was wonderful. Uh, what I do, um, I've actually upgraded the title a little bit, and apologies for not having sent it to you. I'm the um, global head of the Finance and Risk Center of Excellence, and I'm blessed to have a global team of professionals uh, like Lane, including Lane, who sold himself short, and this will be my last comment, he is actually the global uh, go-to-market lead for tax at SAP, So, uh, and thus earned his, his uh, nomination to join this call. So 
Wonderful. Well, thank you very much. And I, I was a little remiss in my opening. I didn't have my backgrounder on Gone with the Wind. So, gentlemen, I'm just going to give you a little bit of information here. Anybody in the listening audience who doesn't know the movie, it was an epic Civil War drama focusing on the life of petulant Southern Belle Scarlett O'Hara. She and I have red hair in common. Played by Vivian Lee, starting with her idyllic on a sprawling plantation. The film traces her survival through the tragic history of the South through the Civil War and reconstruction and her tangled love affairs with Ashley Wilkes, played by Leslie Howard, and Rhett Butler, played by the legendary Clark Gable. What's most important is it was released in January of 1940. The box office was about $390 million. It won the Academy Award for Best Picture, but Gone with the Wind, listen to this, is the highest-grossing film of all time in Canada and the U.S., with estimated admissions of $202,110,200 million. People. And they didn't say that was dollars, so I'm not sure what the translation is. But anyway, the highest grossing film of all time, and it was it debuted in 1940. So I just say wow to the movie industry. They haven't been able to top that one yet. We're going to take a very, very quick break talking about an important topic that affects every company. I don't care how big you are, what industry you're in, where your footprint is, where you're based, what you do. You gotta talk to the tax man from time to time, whether you like it or not. So, our topic today is automating finance operations, value added tax reporting with Mark Truchan at PwC, Mike Bernard at Vertex, Lane Lascella at SAP, and Kevin McCollum at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. And by the way, shout out to Birgit Starmans who worked on the show. Thank you, Birgit, in the background, and hope to talk to you soon. So, We'll be right back in 90 seconds. You can count them along with us. Aaron out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Isn't it time for you to transform your finance organization? SAP is leading the way with groundbreaking technology to help finance professionals transform finance. S4HANA, powered by SAP, is a part of SAP S4HANA, the next generation business suite. SAP S4HANA Finance draws upon innovative, in-memory mobile and cloud technologies to deliver one common, secure view of all your information across finance. This gives you instant insight to drive enterprise-wide strategic value. Learn more about SAP S4HANA Finance at SAP.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments, questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Yes, let's get back to financial excellence with Game Changers. And I want to thank our global audience for being so loyal to the series over the year. It over the years. This is our sixth or seventh season with this particular series among our 42 Game Changers series. That's right. We had over a million and a quarter listeners around the world last year, and financial excellence is always in the top five most listened to series. So just a 
Thank you and appreciation to our loyal listeners around the world for appreciating what we bring you in terms of thought leadership, excellent panels, and an interesting way of looking at the topic of finance because we do smile a lot on the show. So Mark Truchet and PwC is going to help me launch the opening of our roundtable formally on the show today. And I'm going to read a little bit from this very detailed paragraph he sent me to educate me on the topic. And then we'll go around the table, Mark and then Mike and then Lane and then Kevin. I'm keeping all your names in a, I call it my mental suitcase today. So here we go. This is what Mark said. Brexit initiated a general rise in protectionist policies around the world that has resulted in punitive tariffs, new cross-border regulations, increased regulatory enforcement, and, and this is the key, significant uncertainty. Mark, tell us more, please. Yeah, absolutely. So in the U.S., I mean, the, the current administration has been using the actual and the perceived threat of punitive tariffs as a means of kick-starting negotiations with countries who may have otherwise been reluctant to come to the negotiating table. And so the U.S.-Korea FTA was the first real win from that strategy, followed by the USMCA, that's the renegotiation of NAFTA, and most recently the administration kick-started negotiations with China coming out of the G20 summit. So from that perspective, the administration sees the, the, these tactics, these tariffs as being highly effective. And so if you look at what's, what's happening from an overall trade perspective around the world, right, in the U.S. we have Section 201 tariffs on solar panels and washers. We have Section 232 tariffs on steel and aluminum. We have Section 301 tariffs on China origin goods. So we sparked a trade war with China. You know, China and other countries have responded with retaliatory tariffs. We have the renegotiation of NAFTA into the USMCA. We have Brexit, right, which is still a little bit of a puzzle as to what's happening. There's mm-hmm. new free trade agreement discussions with the EU, Japan, and the EU and the UK. So there is a lot happening, and, and, and all this has resulted in increased complexity for businesses, significant above-the-line costs for companies, and increased costs for consumers. And, and most importantly, these policies have been a driver of uncertainty for companies who are unsure how to respond. And so that's really created a really challenging climate for for a lot of businesses to, to operate in. And, and even looking specifically at, you know, where are we with China, right? So, so the U.S. Has, has long believed that, that China's government is aggressively working to undermine our high-tech industries and challenge our economic leadership positions. And, and so the USTR initiated a Section 301 investigation, which found that China's practices related to technology transfer, IP, and innovation were unreasonable and discriminatory. And, and, and so... So that's where we are in terms of imposing punitive tariffs, and, and, and we all know that China is very involved with all aspects of its economy. So, you know, the, the, the leading question that we usually get asked is, what is the U.S. looking for? And, and, and really, it's looking for a fundamental rethink of, of how China manages its economy, and, and that's a huge ask. So there's a lot happening in trade, there's a lot happening with China, and there's a lot of uncertainty around what's happening with trade. Thank you very much. Let's move around the table and get some commentary here from the rest of your co-panelists, Mike Bernard at Vertex. Agree or disagree or just add some flavor to what Mark just shared with us? Mike, go ahead. Yeah, Bonnie. I think I think Mark had a lot of really good points there. I think one thing that I would say with Brexit is I think Brexit had been in the works for a number of years. And I think one of the things that happened in Europe is when they initially uh, had, you know, started the EU, there's really supposed to be a trading zone, a tariff-free trading zone. And part of, I think, some of the dissatisfaction that the British experienced with it and others have too, as well as Hungary, is that it's just kind of morphed into a, a huge regulatory 
uh, body around immigration, around agriculture, around fishing, uh, and then and then uh, infrastructure. And so I think what you see is there was just finally a, a break off of that community from Brexit and possibly others. So so that makes it pretty tough for businesses to respond to that because part of it, once you're out of the EU, uh, you have to tax your goods and services differently than when you're inside the EU. And we and we've seen that with a lot of our uh, customers. Um, and obviously, that's going to happen towards the end of the month. The the other thing too is I think one thing that uh, that the that the tariffs have done is the, the Tax Foundation reported out just uh, just a couple months ago that the average household in the U.S. has experienced about one hundred and fifty dollars of additional disposable income that has gone towards paying for higher tariffs uh, coming mm. in from China. So. The effect hasn't really been felt yet on the consumer, but I think that the second round of tariffs come in, which is about three or four times, I believe, what the first round was, that could start to affect particularly uh, some, some folks at the, uh, at the lower end of the, uh, of, the, of the pay scale. So obviously some things to think about in that area. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Lane Laskella, join us. Thoughts, agree or disagree with anything or everything from Mark and Mike? Oh, absolutely agree. Um, in, in many of these key points, um, the high level of uh, uncertainty and a rapid period of change at the policy level, at the commercial business uh, response level, I think we're all touching this in our organizations in, in a variety of ways. I, I wanted to add it may be at a secondary level something uh, more directly related to uh, tax uh, document filing and electronic uh, systems updates. Now, starting with the UK and not directly um, affected uh, by Brexit or as a result of Brexit, but it so happens that uh, the UK is going through an update to their reporting platforms as part of something called Making Tax Digital. And mm-hmm. this is an initiative that's going to require, starting April the 1st of this year, virtually all of the businesses and businesses that are doing business um, inside the UK to submit their returns on value-added tax on an application programming interface. This is also known as an API. It basically is the digitalization of tax filing, um, tax information and response, um, corrections. And what will happen is that Her Majesty's uh, tax authority will also accept um, applications that are directly Um, connected to their network, which requires some certification of the provider. Companies can continue to use spreadsheets, but these need to be interfaced, if you will, um, on this application basis. So this is is something, in addition, happens to be contemporary uh, with Brexit. And then over in the EU itself, something that's been building uh, for a number of years is a system which basically is an electronic data interchange network or an EDI called PEPL. I love saying that word, PEPL. Pan-European Public Procurement Online uh, is the full term for P-E-P-P-O-L. And this system is being updated now. It's meant to be pan-European Union. A lot of it is being administered today from the Netherlands and from Belgium. Uh, Germany will be coming online next year. And it's basically a way to provide a standardized technical platform um, already being used to do some of the uh, trade processing information and, if you will, interfacing with procurement systems from a number of uh, 
commercial organizations. And now we also have the combined function of this being a place where goods and services tax and value-added tax information filing, document exchange uh, will begin to take place. And the idea is to have this spread. Again, now, now we're up back on the continent within the European Union over the next three or four years. Thank you very much. And, Elaine, I, I just want to give our listeners a heads up. You can Google Making Tax Digital, the MTD, and there is a Wikipedia entry. Is there anything that it doesn't exist on Wikipedia today? I don't know. Hopefully I don't. But MTD is a U.K. government initiative that sets out a vision for the end of the tax return and a transformed tax system by 2020. I'll just leave it there. Thank you for that reference. Just wanted people to know. Kevin McCollum, join us. Thoughts, please? I definitely agree right on down the line with everyone. And just a comment about Lane, what Lane said. We mm-hmm. know what the future looks like after legislation like making tax digital, right? Um, we've seen it in Latin American economies where the, 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 the reality is it's making everyday tax day because the next step is now pay me on a daily or per transaction basis. So the next step is, at least on a B2B perspective, making everyday tax day. One last comment I'll make and then uh, uh, pass it on. Um, The thing, we're talking about indirect and direct tax here, filings and whatnot, and uh, I just want to point out that in the trade situation, there's another big gotcha in this. Companies have spent literally decades and trillions optimizing their supply chains to take uh, advantage of low-cost country sourcing and working with the BRICS and all of these types of um, globalization catchphrases. That's all up in the air. That's all up for grabs now. And companies are looking for ways to surgically adjust their business strategies and their supply chains to ensure that, okay, if this is affecting all of us, where's my advantage? How do I choose the lesser of all evils in this whole mess and maybe turn this into a competitive advantage? So um, that's where the big gotcha is, supply chain costs, and the leaders are looking for a way out of this. Thank you very much. I'm going to, uh, Mark, do you have anything to say about what your co-panelists shared? Because I'm ready to move on to something in Mike Bernard's list. But Mark, I'll give you a moment if you want to uh, wrap this one up. Yeah, yeah, no, I would absolutely agree. I mean, I think there's a huge impact to supply chains. I think they're forced to to maneuver in these really challenging and uncertain times. And, and tariffs are really an area that impacts all areas of an organization. So, you know, supply chain, customs tax, customer pricing, vendor negotiations, and, you know, there, there's a lot of, you know, opportunities available to companies in order to try and mitigate some of these different, you know, tariffs and, and protectionist policies. Um, but they do require a holistic view by the organization. And, you know, one of the challenging areas for them to do that is just having visibility to what their impact is. So, you know, leading back to those different, you know, automation systems, whether it's for tax or indirect tax, it's really critical that that companies have the right foundation to, to enable themselves to maneuver in this space. Thank you very much, Mark. And and Mike Bernard, I see something in here that I think will interest our listeners around the world on a, a more personal basis. So something we often talk about is privacy, confidentiality, security. And your comment here, Mike Bernard, is taxpayers and tax authorities 
must agree on precise data and information sharing, as well as privacy and confidentiality standards. Is it too late, Mike Bernard? Has the horse already come out of the barn door to talk about the idea of confidentiality and privacy of taxes, especially with digital transmission? What do you think? No, I I don't think so, Bonnie, because I think one of the things that we're talking about here is and particularly in the in the indirect space, uh, is that there's really only kind of a series of fields that that governments really need in order to, pro- to properly analyze uh, tax information that's coming to them. Obviously, um, it's they want as much information as they can get, but most of the, the panelists all know that um, when you sell a product or a service. There's really only about five or six things that you really need to give the authorities. You need to give the name of the seller, the purchaser, probably the SKU, product, amount, the price, the quantity, you know, where the delivery point is, and obviously uh, the, the taxes. There's a whole bunch of other information body that's behind that invoice, that e-invoice, mm-hmm. paper. hopefully it's, a, it's an e-invoice, that, that, the, that sellers have on those customers. They could have things on credit history, their credit rating. Um, their buying patterns. And so a lot of that information just doesn't need to be passed. These files are really quite huge relative to the invoice. And so I think where the discussion really has to go at this point is, is particularly over the next couple of years, there has to be a discussion about what is it that sellers need to pass to governments and what do mm-hmm. governments really need in order to analyze things properly just to make sure that the, that the invoice is proper that the tax is correct. And I think those discussions are they're already ongoing, but they, I think they really need to come more to the forefront. And I think the other thing, too, is, Bonnie, is consumers don't want additional information beyond that invoice passed to governments. There's really no reason for that to be done. Uh, so that's what I'm, that, that was the point that I was trying to get to in terms of, in terms of this data privacy issues. Thank you. Very appreciated. Let's quickly move around the table and see what the comments are from your co-panelists, Mike. Lane Liskell at SAP, agree or disagree with Mike Bernard? Oh, I absolutely agree. I think, I think it's a very intriguing point to make uh, in the context of things like uh, the data protection uh, policies and laws that are starting to emerge. And I, I think we're starting to get wind of that uh, on the U.S. side related to things like GDPR. Um, in the EU. Um, it's very interesting to see how that will emerge because we have the context as individuals, right, even thinking about ourselves, our family, mm-hmm. um, our citizenship uh, in, in terms of exchanging information with service providers or other parties related to tax filing and tax issues at the indirect level. We're talking about, again, value-added tax or uh, goods and services tax and, and other kinds of sales tax-related information for companies, for commercial organizations, we may see a period of conflicting um, legal interpretation um, and Mm. attempts, and just, again, just picking up on this, especially between uh, the way U.S. law has applied to what's relevant in commercial transactions versus this far more stringent view um, that comes out of the the, the legal environment um, right in the heart of Europe on how this information is to be treated. And, you know, I, I suppose the advocacy legally would run in the direction is to having this de- minimized approach uh, to just the, the information that's required, um, if you think of it as a transaction, to process that information all the way through the ordering and, and uh, tax exchange system. When it comes to individuals, I can imagine the battle is uh, 
still to be fought um, between different jurisdictions on how that information will be handled. Thank you. Good reality check. Kevin McCollum, join us. Thoughts, please? Absolutely agree about data privacy. Harkening back to my quote uh, that everybody thought the EU was crazy, but there's something to what they say. I applaud Mm -hmm. them for the GDPR regulation, and I think it's long overdue. We have the right to expect privacy be respected, and couldn't agree more. Thank you very much. Let's circle around to Mark Trushan at PwC. Thoughts on this? Yeah, no, absolutely agree with, with, with all the comments that have been, that have been made. I, I think it's a big issue, especially with cybersecurity being so, you know, so, so forefront. I mean, we hear about companies getting, getting hit all the time, and, and, and it's all the same for, for governments as well. And, and so having to expose yourself and provide so much confidential information to, to governments where it might not all be necessary, um, you know, it, it, it's a big risk to, to put out there. And I know in the U.S., you know, we have, you know, U.S. Census, and, and even there, there's a lot of requirements around what trade data elements need to be communicated to the customs authorities. And, again, a lot of that information is not critical for customs compliance, but it's used for census purposes, for trade policy. So even from that perspective, it, it exposes a lot of companies to, you know, having their trade trade secrets potentially, um, you know, identified by competitors or, you know, through espionage and things like that. So it it is a big issue. Thank you very much. Mike Bernard, forgive me, but we're almost running out of time. It's almost time for predictions. So I'm going to scoot down to the list of topics Lane Liskella sent me. Lane, I just want to get an update from you on something we talked about months ago. It probably was 2018 on the series about the Wayfair decision, which impacts out-of-state sellers like Wayfair.com to collect tax on sales made to residents online, uh, Internet e-commerce selling. Can you give us an update on that, or how does that apply, or in, how does that influence what we're talking about today, Lane? Just I want to get this in quickly yeah, so, before so, before we go to predictions. Very, go ahead. Very, yeah, sure, Bonnie. That's a, that's a very interesting um, U.S. based um, mm-hmm. ruling, and and for those that are not that familiar with this, it actually has had a fairly major impact on the ability of U.S. states or the scope for U.S. states now. Uh, to be taxing online commerce. That was the essence of the issue. Uh, right. So in June of last year, uh, for those that, uh, that can think that far back now, <laughs> all the way to 2018, the U.S. Supreme Court actually made a fairly uh, significant uh, decision in changing the way this idea had worked before. And it's funny that both of the Dakotas were involved for some reason. So going back to 1992, there was a standard in a case called Quill Court versus North Dakota that basically said for retailers, it was necessary to have at least a physical presence test, they called it, one physical uh, you know, store or office of some kind with, at the state level in order to apply for and to have um, sales taxes be charged on customers in that state. Well, last year, um, in the case of the Wayfair, for, you know, for folks that aren't uh, that familiar, Wayfair is a fairly prominent and growing online retailer in the U.S. The, the case was in South Dakota, and the interpretation was uh, that Wayfair actually didn't have the right, so to speak, to charge citizens of South Dakota um, and, and any kind of taxes for uh, processing uh, online transactions. Um, this, that went all the way to the Supreme Court by appeal on the Wayfair side, and they decided in their favor. And so now, um, for the last nine months or so, we have individual states that are amending their sales tax 
uh, application accordingly. Uh, it can be uh, at the same level as the standard, you know, physical sales tax, depending upon the individual state for those that have them. And uh, what this has allowed is for online sellers, if you will, for anybody, um, Amazon was already doing this, by the way, in, in multiple states uh, for, for a number of years, to be able to tax uh, customers in that individual state just by having uh, the, the address, the shipping and, and the bill-to address uh, be located there for that value. So this has a potential strong impact. I know a lot of our customers are also dealing with this um, on, um, you know, how to, how to manage the, that process both at the state level um, and the uh, impact that it has on, on pricing. Thank you very much. I wanted to give wanted to give an update on. I wish we had more time to talk about that, maybe on a future show. But I'm circling back around to Mark Trushan and PWC. Mark, time for the crystal ball predictions, and because we have such a crowded table, which is wonderful today, I'm going to give you each a tight sixty seconds for your prediction. So, Mark, what do you predict? What do you see coming? I like to say uh, up the pike, down the road, between now and let's say. 2025, but it could be much shorter time frame if you want in terms of our topic today. Mark Trushan, go ahead, 60 seconds. Sure. Well, I think uncertainty and volatility around global trade is going to increase, and I think that's going to drive two things. I think first, companies are going to recognize how critical it is to have real-time global visibility to their cross-border transactions, and they're going to use that as a tool to manage uncertainty. So that's going to become really important. And, And second, I think a lot of companies found themselves really exposed being all in on China. So I think we're going to see a lot of companies diversify their manufacturing base across countries, and I think trade is going to be a big driver of that strategy. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point. I really appreciate that. Let's move around to Mike Bernard at Vertex. Mike, I can give you 60 seconds and maybe a smidge more, so go ahead. What's your prediction? Sure, Bonnie. I I think what you're going to see is there's going to emerge from several countries just the, this whole digital transformation. And what I mean by that is just the end-to-end process from taxpayers uh, using e-invoicing, point-of-sale systems, uh, and transmitting uh, payments and returns into the governments and those governments receiving that information and actually being able to do something about that. There's been a lot of countries, Bonnie, that have kind of nibbled around the edge of doing a lot of different things. But I think what you're going to see is is kind of like the Estonias, the Hungries, maybe Brazil and some others who are going to kind of lead the way in transformation. The bigger countries like the U.S. and the U.K. has made some good strides. But France and Germany have these huge legacy systems. And it's going to be interesting to see if they can really pivot as fast as these other uh, countries, particularly We've got a lot of great talent in, in, in the countries where there are legacy systems, but there's even there's also great talent in these other countries. So let's look for these other countries to see if they're going to lead the transformation. Thank you very much. Lane Laskella, 60 seconds. What's on your mind for your prediction today? Well, yeah, Bonnie, I'm going to go out uh, somewhat on a limb here and assign a percentage um, oh, to this thought. Um, I believe by the end of 2020, it will be conceivable that at least 75% of global commerce uh, will be passing through systems, just given the, the countries that are involved in this. Most of the major um, economies are, are going through this digitization process at one level or another and have been doing so for some years. I think by the end of next year, 
we're going to see that 75% of global commerce is actually passing through a range of systems that will combine both um, the, the type of uh, information at the invoicing level uh, for physical trade, for digital services uh, trade, which is something that we didn't address here, but a number mm-hmm. of countries, especially in uh, the Asia-Pacific region, have something called the Netflix tax now, where they're finding a way to, uh, mm. to also uh, tax services uh, a little bit Whoa. more directly. But I think this is going to be combined with the same types of systems that will send uh, information and requests for tax information and actually directly receive uh, more automated electronic tax filings from Oh, my. That's interesting. A little bit scary. Kevin McCollum, wrap this up for me, please. 60 seconds. They're yours. Go. I'm going to agree with all the uh, uh, previous presenters, and I'm going to say that uh, what we're all talking about is the digital trans- the, the global digital transformation that's going on. We're go- we've moved from globalization now to digitalization. And my prediction is that this will... There's no, there's no going back. These discussions we've had about filing taxes digitally, being able to optimize supply chains to react to political uncertainty um, and, and, and adjust business strategies on ever-shortening business cycles is going to continue, and the cycles are actually going to get shorter, and companies are looking for ways to uh, survive and thrive in that type of an economy. And I predict that there's no turning back. Thank you. I think uncertainty is the word here. So thank you very much. I want to thank our four panelists, Mark Truchan at PwC, Mike Bernard at Vertex, Lane Laskella at SAP, Kevin McCollum at SAP as well, Birgit Starmans. Thanks for putting this together. And a shout-out to Chris Grundy for being our longtime sponsor of the show. And, of course, a shout-out to Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire at World Talk Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here is my call to action. Shout-out to Birgit Starmans as well, if I didn't mention her. Here we go. So fasten your seatbelt. It's almost tax time here in the U.S. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Martrushan at PwC, just like Mike Bernard at Vertex Inc., just like Lane LaScala at SAP, and just like Kevin McCollum at SAP. Have a great day. We'll be back tomorrow. As usual, Coffee Break with Game Changers looking at IRPA. Tune in to find out what that means, part two. And uh, that will be at 11 a.m. Eastern right here on the Business Channel. Have a great one. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO. And join host Bonnie D. Graham Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel. Wishing you a game-changing week.